every fall, Kentucky Baptist churches promote a mission offering and take a mission offering called the Eliza Broadus Offering. 100% of this offering goes to state missions. Our church goal this year is going to be $1,800. But along with the offering, we have a season of prayer where we're praying for different ministries throughout the state. To help you to do that, there is a, a guide that you can get, um, and it gives you kind of a week of prayer um, to focus on different things. And this morning, I wanted to uh, draw your attention to day seven in the guide, which is about Afghan relief efforts um, in Louisville. Um, Afghan meaning Afghan Christians and Afghan refugees. Uh, Jessica and I have a a neat story, and our kids have a neat story about this. Um, if you remember back in the summer, we took a couple weeks away, and uh, for part of that, we went on a little vacation down to Atlanta, and we were on our way back that Sunday. We stopped at a church, and at the end of the service, um, the pastor had talked about, we have something special to share with you. At the end of the service, um, they brought a couple families from Afghanistan, Christians. And the sort of the patriarch of that family um, shared about his experience. And they've gone through incredible trauma. Um, after the Taliban took control of the country again, uh, Afghanistan became the number one country for Christian persecution in the world. So they try to wipe out Christians. So we've seen Christians flee all over the world, and some of them have come to Kentucky. And that's what um, this little um, portion here of day seven is, is all about, how they're trying to find churches for Afghan, Afghan Christians um, and then other refugees who, who may be Muslim who have come to Kentucky and how these Afghanistan Christians are trying to reach out um, to their fellows. So why don't we take just a minute um, to pray for that ministry? And I'll read a few prompts to help you to know how, how to pray. It says to pray for basic needs of life, jobs, and language learning to progress for all the families for the purpose of the gospel. Pray that relationships of trust form and grow. Pray that seekers feel comfortable asking and finding suitable answers. Pray for the burgeoning Afghan church. Pray for support and strength of these Afghan believers as they cooperate, that they may establish great inroads for the kingdom of God. Pray that, the, that through these Afghan believers and their partnership with American believers, that many Afghans would come to Christ and become disciples, joining in worship. Take just a moment to pray for that ministry right here in Kentucky. Father, we praise you that your church is worldwide. 
It's from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given us as Kentucky Baptists to be able to reach this people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've you've taken a bad situation and you've used it for good, that more people would come to saving knowledge of the truth. Thank you also that you have brought brothers and sisters in Christ who have been persecuted severely to our nation, to our state. Lord, help us to be hospitable. Help us to be able to to meet their needs. Uh, We pray for this ministry in Louisville that's doing just that. Uh, We pray that you would help these believers find local churches and maybe even establish a local church for Afghanistan believers um, to be able to worship together. Uh, We pray that you would help them to reach out to other Afghan people that don't know you and to be bold um, to share the gospel. Lord, now as we open up your word, Lord, we pray that the name of Jesus is elevated. We thank you for his love for us. Thank you that he chose to die for us on a cross um, so that we may have redemption. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I have another video I'd like you to take a look at. So that was a TV commercial from a few years ago for a kid's show called Dora the Explorer. And I don't want to criticize any of the accomplishments of the kids or even the TV show. My kids have watched Dora the Explorer and they like that TV show. But what I want to fixate on is the message that was portrayed in that video together we can do anything. I don't know if you noticed, I found it a little bit ironic that they promoted a message of together we can do anything, but none of the kids in the video did anything together, right? It was all individual accomplishments, right? Like one found the courage to jump in the pool, but to jump in alone. Um, Another one danced, but alone. Another one hit a baseball, obviously being the batter alone. So that was a little bit sort of hurt their message that they were 
trying to get across, although it probably tells us a lot about the culture, even though we champion togetherness, we really kind of live individualistic lives about what we can accomplish. So what is the problem, though, about this message of together we can do anything? Why is, is Pastor Kyle um, criticizing a, a TV commercial for a kid's television show? It's because... The message together we can do anything is obviously one that we're telling our children um, about um, together we can do anything implies that there's no limits if if we just band together and work hard and follow this motto then everything is at our disposal everything we're going to be able to accomplish anything that we set our minds on so what's the problem with this seemingly harmless motto well it's because god doesn't like the motto together we can do anything and why might god not like the motto together we can do anything it's because he leaves him completely out of everything. It implies that if we just have a dream, if we just have a goal, regardless of what God wants for us, regardless of how he, he's made us to love and depend on him, we can just go out and we can accomplish this goal if we just band together but united together apart from god and if we're apart from god that is harmful to us god's made us for himself and he loves us and he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to accomplish our dreams if it means our dreams take us away from his love and his care. So this morning we're going to examine an ancient account of when human beings took up this motto, together we can do anything. Apparently this motto is not new. This is the air that, that we breathe as human beings that without God we believe we can do anything so let's take a look at this account this is the account of the Tower of Babel you'll find this if you have your Bible app or Bible handy in Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9 and that's where I'm going to read out loud this morning the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. And as people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, come. 
Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the whole earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they had begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they may so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there the Lord scattered through scattered them throughout the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, or Babel. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. All right, to understand this passage, you have to also understand how this chronologically works in the book of Genesis. You may have noticed that we didn't read chapter 10 out loud. I invite you to go and, and read that um, tonight or this week sometime. But if you read in chapter 10, it's a long genealogy of the sons of Noah and how their descendants spread out over the face of the earth after the flood. So there were, after the flood, there became different tribes and different cultures and different languages spread out. But then you get into chapter 11, the account of the Tower of Babel, and we learn how all of humanity had come to live in one place, and they were together. So we're left to believe that the chronology of Genesis here is chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, comes first before the explanation or giving the explanation of how people spread out over the entire earth. So in chapter 10, the genealogy shows us what took place. Chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel, we learn why this took place, why God spread out the people all over the face of the earth into different people groups and languages and, and cultures and tribes. At this time, after the flood, the people had started to migrate farther east. And they found a valley there called Shinar. And they thought, this will be a good place to settle. And after some time, they started to develop the technology to be able to fire bricks and to use this in construction. Then someone brought out the idea, 
why don't we make a tower? The first of its kind in all of the world. This won't be just any tower. This tower will reach up to the skies, will will reach up to the heavens. Some biblical scholars have put out that this tower may have been like a ziggurat. Like you've seen this in pictures in ancient history where it's sort of like a circular stair tower. And the idea was that you could build this tower up to the heavens and up to reach God or the gods in Babylon, a Babylonian thinking. That may very well have been what the people were trying to do here at, ta- at the Tower of Babel. But irregardless, the whole motivation of this was let us see what we can do. Together, we can do anything. We can make our name great. We can do something that no one else has accomplished, and we can brag about it, how big and how great the people in the valley of Shinar really are. But then starting in verse 5, we get God's reaction. We're told that he looks down. He, then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building, and he was very displeased at what he saw. You see in the chapter, the first part of the chapter, the people are trying to reach up. They're trying to work their way up. And then starting in verse 5, you see God coming down. And he comes down in, in judgment. He saw what they were doing. God knows, as we've already seen in the book of Genesis, how God knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. He knew that the innermost thoughts of these people wasn't to honor and to glorify him. It was to honor and glorify them. It was all about self-reliance. It was all about pride so so somehow in response to all of this pride god decides to confuse their language and then to spread out the people all over the face of the earth he would not allow them to be able to come together in unity in self-reliance ever again in the same way that they did at least in the Tower of Babel. We, we aren't exactly told how this happened, how the different languages were developed, how the people were spread out. We just know that God did it. And this place from that point forward was called Babylon or Babel. And in Hebrew, that word means to spread out or to cause confusion. Sometimes it's a grace of God in our lives for him to not let us succeed at doing something apart from his will. 
Success without God is dangerous for our souls because our self-reliance gets even more ingrained in us. And in the Tower of Babel, we get a picture, an account of the direct opposite of why God created the world and why God created human beings. God created human beings for an intimate relationship with him, to depend on him. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit in the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For that, I want you to trust in me. Depend on me and don't go there. Don't eat of this tree. And of course, we know they quickly violated God's rules. They would not trust in God. They had to grasp something for themselves. And in the Tower of Babel, we just get this sense of self-reliance and grasping full-blown. All of the people on the face of the earth have come together as one to grasp, to, to reach at something apart from God. And they're very arrogant about it. And this is what we all do. This is a picture of every human being, every human society apart from God. Instead of coming to God, instead of trusting in him and loving him and seeking after him, believing in him to restore a right relationship with us, what we do, we, we sense something that is broken inside of us. And instead of coming to God for restoration and healing, in our pride, in our arrogance, we try to fix that through our own accomplishments, through building our own tower up to the sky to say, look what I've accomplished. Because I've done this thing, because I've accomplished this deed, I'm worth something. Look, look what I've done, everybody. Look how great I am. This is the heart of every human being, every sinner apart from God. This is what we all do. We are all Babylonians. Now, the human response to what is broken and wrong with us is to try to work our way up, to fix ourselves, to accomplish, to give ourselves over to self-improvement, to make a name for ourselves. All while God is crying out to us, is saying to us, listen, you don't need to work your way up because I've already come down. And it's different now because God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, 
to come down to bring righteousness and redemption to humanity. In the account of the Tower of Babel, God came down, but he came down in judgment. Jesus said, I've not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world, meaning me and you and anybody who will believe in Jesus, can be saved through me. And it's not only that we have a problem, we're broken and need to be fixed, though that is true. There's something deeper that's going on. The reason why we are broken is because we're rebellious, because we're rebel sinners who have disobeyed God, who have spit in the face of God and and gone our own way, who have loved ourselves more than loving God. And this is why Jesus came. This is why he came down. He brought salvation and his kingdom down to us. This is why he is the only way, the the truth, the, the life, the only way of salvation. He was sent by the Father on a rescue mission. He lived the righteous and sinless life that every human being has failed to live. He died the death that we all deserve to die. As a, he, he, he became sin for us. He was treated as a sinner on the cross. He took our punishment in, in our place. And then if we will turn to him by faith and by turning away from our sin, that's called repentance, he gives us new life that we all need, but we can't get for ourselves. He gives us restoration. And he starts to fix us from the inside out and to change us to look more like himself. You see this picture over and over again. This is man's way. Man-centered salvation is to try to work his way up. The salvation that God provides is only through Jesus Christ coming down to rescue us. And us trusting in him, believing in him like God designed us from the very beginning. To this, we must ask ourselves some very important questions. Questions like, what am I depending on? Like, what truly am I relying on? Is it my accomplishment? Is it the identity that I have obtained for myself? Or is it in Christ alone? Am I I living by trusting in God to glorify him? Or am I still living like the people of Babel to make a great name for myself? 
through various ways. How would you fill in this blank? I matter. My life matters. Because, how would you fill in that blank? Because I've done well for myself. I've done well in my job, or I've got a good family, or I've got plenty of money, or I've got lots of friends. People, people like me, I'm well known. People know that I'm smart, or I've done well in school. I'm good at sports, too. What's the basis of your life? Why do you, at the core of yourself, believe that you really matter? The way that we should fill in that blank is, I really matter because Jesus loves me, and he died for me, and I belong to him. It does not matter how much I've accomplished. The only accomplishment that now matters to me is what Jesus did for me. How he paid it all. How he died and rose again for me. And Christian, you must know that it is totally possible to know Jesus but to practically speaking, on an emotional level and in a practical level, build your life on something else. In many ways, that's the battle of the Christian life, to keep God on the throne of your heart and not something else. We continually have to come back to the cross and faith and repentance and obedience. This is the battle of the Christian life. It's not for salvation, but it's from salvation. It's because you do have a new identity in Christ that you can begin to live in it. So Christian, you still have to ask yourself those same questions. Is the drive of your life Jesus Christ and his glory? Or is something else your one thing, your, your main thing, what you're after? What you're centering your life on? And for followers of Jesus... The Lord's Supper. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. This is a perfect time in your hearts to recenter things on the Lord Jesus Christ and to remember, as Cody reminded us at the beginning, to think about what Jesus has accomplished for you. It's as you take the bread, and as you take the juice, you're reminding yourself and you're proclaiming through the elements of the Lord's Supper that I have not saved myself. That's not possible. I'm still relying on Jesus Christ who died and who rose again for me. Why don't you 
take just a few minutes to spend some time doing that. And I want to invite you, if, if you haven't yet followed Christ and then been obedient in baptism, to pray, to receive Jesus, to dedicate your heart and life to Christ. Talk to Jesus and tell him how much you need him. Ask him to save you. And then after we take the Lord's Supper, we'll have an invitation. And then make that public, what you have done to trust in Christ. So I want to invite Christians who have trusted in, in Jesus, who are following him, who have been obedient in baptism, to take the Lord's Supper with us. But to use this as an opportunity to recenter your life on him. Take just a minute to do that. And then I'll come back and I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. Okay, if you can find your Lord's Supper cup, you can take off the wrapper off the top and take the bread. Our Lord's Supper is simply patterned off of Jesus and the last meal that he gave to his disciples. And when he did that, we're told in 1 Corinthians, this is what happened. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Father, forgive us that we think that we don't need you oftentimes. How we waver and how we fall into self-reliance and accomplishment. Or help our hearts to be re-centered on you and the cross. Jesus and what you accomplished. Lord, thank you that in the Lord's Supper we're reminded what you did. Thank you, Lord. We cannot save ourselves. This is everything. Lord, make it everything constantly, 24-7 in our lives to us. We worship you and, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Um, before we give a response time, I wanted to read a little bit about this new covenant. Jesus said that this is the new covenant in my blood. Let me just share a little bit about the new covenant from Hebrews chapter 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on that day. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I show no concern for them, says the Lord, because they do not continue in my covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make from the house with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother or sister saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. So there, God was speaking first about an old covenant. An old covenant that he said he had with the house of Israel. This was the covenant in the Old Testament. Um, the old covenant was a system of laws, a system of sacrifices that the Old Testament people of Israel had to walk in and keep in order to continue in their covenant relationship with God. I tell you today that there are many people still trying to relate to God like an old covenant, in an old covenant way. They believe that their identity with God is based off of what they can do, what they accomplish for God. They're very proud that they're a good person 
They're very proud that they try their best to keep all of God's laws. Maybe they're religious and they come to church and maybe they've done things like being baptized. Maybe even they're a church member. But they're still relating to God in that old covenant kind of way. It's all based on what that person can do. God's saying that covenant is no more. He's given us a new covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. And it's a relational covenant because every person in this new covenant from the least to the greatest knows God, has a deep personal abiding relationship with God and how do they get this relationship with God how do they enter into this new covenant this new promise it's all by the blood of Christ no longer are these who are in this new covenant living in an old covenant type of way they trusted in Christ and and they believe that it's not about what I've done that saves me, that writes my relationship with God. It's all about what Christ has done and accomplished. The new covenant is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I wonder today, have you truly entered into the new covenant? Or are you still trying to relate to God in that old covenant type of way? This morning, I invite you to come. I would love to share with you more about how you can know God truly, how you can be saved. I would love to be able to lead you in prayer this morning so that you can be saved and truly know God. And then after that, we would invite you to be obedient in baptism, to publicly show I'm following Jesus. And then we can help you to walk with Jesus as a part of this church. Or maybe you have another response. Maybe you already are a follower of Christ, but maybe God's convicted you about something. Something very personal. or Maybe you need to come and ask for prayer about that or pray down front or make something public with the church. I invite you to do as God is leading you today.